Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Podcast. Matthew Miranda joined by Stacey Patton on a very nice day in Knicksville. The Knicks are the hottest thing this side of the atmosphere. I think they've won six out of seven games now, eight and five uh, after an initial loss on this five-game road trip in Boston, which is certainly a forgivable sin. Win, win, win after that. And now the Knicks are heading into a, a tough stretch of games for about a week. Uh, a stretch, a, a stretch. A tough stretch of three games. Um, but before we get into what has passed and what may be coming, a reminder, the last of the major pro sports things is off and rolling, and college basketball is ready to go as well. I cannot believe, if, if you're not old, if you're not of a certain age, you may never understand how weird it is to be reading a commercial that openly says the last of the major pro sports things is off and rolling, and college basketball is ready to go as well. Um Bet online remains your top spot for all your live betting action and contests. NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL are all in full swing. And let me give you a free tip if you want to bet on the NHL. Whatever the Rangers line is, take the Rangers. They are destroying everybody. Bet online is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. All the hoops betting action, along with every sport available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access anytime. Head to the Bet Online today and remember, I don't know why it says the head to Bet Online today and remember to use our promo code Believe, B L E A V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Stacey Patton, where does the pod start? We can literally pick any single position for the Knicks. We can talk about consecutive wire to wire wins. There are children alive on this planet who have never known the New York Knicks to be behind in a basketball game. Where do we start in our discussion today? <laughs> um, well, shout out to those children. Uh, welcome to the world. Um, uh, I, you know, you put a great recap or recap up on Strickland about the Knicks Hornets game, um, which discussed um, things that shouldn't be ignored um, with respect to Miles Bridges and the larger domestic violence policy of the NBA. Uh, I'd like to give you a chance to kind of talk about it and as well, not just raising kind of awareness, but you know, what we can do to help. Right. So, um, you know, I, I, wanna, I, I want to, I'd like to start the episode, uh, give you a chance to talk about that. So I had completely somehow in all the reading about bridges and discussions about bridges and the statement that the Hornets put out recently about bridges and the fact that he played the prior game, I can't remember who it was against, um, maybe Milwaukee. Somehow it just, ne- I don't know if I blocked it out or what, but it never sunk into my brain as the Knicks lined up to play the Hornets that Bridges was going to play. So I'm recapping the game. I'm taking notes. I'm kind of paying attention at a normal distance. My head is somewhere else. And I realized that the ball just went to someone who looks like Miles Bridges and Mike Breen is saying Bridges and Miles Bridges is playing. And there's a lot here, so I want to be very specific about, like, I'm just talking about what I'm talking about. The fact that I'm talking about X does not mean that I don't care about Y. It's just there's so much to talk about, and, like, I can only do 
I can only talk about so much like at a time. Um, I I wanted to be really because I think this is this is what mattered to me coming out of the game, and it's what I would like people hopefully to take away from Bridges playing, um, watching the game. Um, one is I don't I didn't want to, in the recap and in general like I don't want the emphasis to be on Bridges. Bridges is one person. Bridges has clearly like issues to work with and work on um, and things to answer for. But I didn't want to make it like, I don't want the, I, I'm not demonizing Miles Bridges. He is a part of this. Um, it's a much larger thing than Miles Bridges, but he is, this is emblematic of a larger conversation that has to be had. And where it really, really kicked off for me was I thought for like most of the first half that LaMelo Ball was playing with an AirPod like in his ear and i was thinking like yeah okay like if i could handful of players i could see playing with an airpod the mellow ball would be one of them and then now i know that's not an airpod that's something and then they of course say on the broadcast that the mellow ball has a cover over a tattoo near his left ear because it has the initials i think lf or lm um some initials and it's for his clothing fashion line and like you can't not be smacked in the face by this juxtaposition that the NBA will not allow you to see the sight of ink on the body of a player because advertising is like sacrosanct to them. And I'm watching Miles Bridge play a couple of weeks after I'm trying to explain to someone why Kevin Porter Jr. got traded instead of simply like cut by Houston while I'm reminded like, oh yeah, Josh Primo. He, I, I, I just learned details of that case. I hadn't known. And again, it's not about each of these individuals, but it's the fact that to see the league take the immediate action they do on the mellow ball to see the league rightfully, I think, but punitively take the action they did on Draymond green. I would have been fine with Draymond getting more than what he got, but I don't think the league did it because this was a chance to address an injustice the league came down because Draymond is villain number one. And this is very similar to when Dennis Rodman was in Chicago, where this isn't just a player. And he's done act- a bunch. I mean, it's not just I'll a player. Act now, a it's also he, a player he also who- choked out. He choked out a guy. And the only reason I think it was as low as it was and why NBA Twitter was like, it's because I want to add this. There is definitely a xenophobic element to NBA fandom and, you know, it's one thing to criticize Gobert for his play. There's with him and, and some of it with Wemby. Like, the, so it's like, oh, he got cho- like he choked him out. You can't do that. That's a very dangerous play. Um, and it's like he's kicked people in the balls. Like Draymond, runner test fought a fan and lost his season. I think that's what I'm judging this on. And Draymond has endangered nba players without any there's no reason to do that you're not protecting a teammate you're choking somebody out from the back like a coward um because i don't think he would stand a chance against rudy gobert face to face so um you know i'll i'll let you finish but i think that that suspension should have been more severe yeah agreed no agreed 100 percent. and draymond is at the point and this is why i immediately was like I'm just I'm done personally with this with this player is you saw with his bonus incident last year you saw it not just in the action against the player but in his egging on of the crowd right after it happened you saw it if you saw the faces of the people who were coming 
after Draymond to stop him, right when he went at Gobert. You could see it on all of them. There's an like there's an understanding that for this particular individual, it's not simply a case. This isn't just like a cartoonish villain like Grayson Allen, who like gets in cheap shots a lot. There's always the possibility of escalation with this person. And if everyone around him was not so like hardwired against it, it would have happened by now. All of these scenarios are cases it, where to me it's more Lambeer than Rodman for what it's worth. Like Rodman did his own shit, but to your point, yeah. yeah. It was Lambeer who made it a, a game-wide, a team-wide thing, right? Key distinction with Rodman, like when Rodman did this stuff, I think Rodman was always on some level like at the wheel. Even if it was an immediate spontaneous decision, like Rodman was doing it because on some level, like Rodman was in control and wanted to do this. The thing with Green to me is I feel like there's no one at the wheel when these things happen, and that's why there's a different risk element with him than when other people have it. And I think you see it in the people around him. You see the Jordan Poole footage. Like, that's not a person who's just hot-headed. Like, that's a person who cannot judge in a situation. And I'm not I'm not judging how he's come by this, because different people can come by this for different reasons. And but it's not, by the way, Draymond's a very one of the more intelligent players. I think if he, you know, I think he'll have a a feature in broadcasting very intelligent guy so this isn't a comment on that but yeah to your point he definitely seems to lose control at times yeah there's a trigger so draymond on that level that's a whole different thing um miles bridges though but tying it back to bridges recognizing the league's you know aggression in we have to do something about this like we're gonna come down we're gonna come down hard like and if anyone has a problem with it, like they can, you know, the, the union can take us to court or something, but like we have to take action on this. And LaMelo Ball has advertising on his body that we're not reading profit off of. We have to take action on that. But a player who returned from his suspension and year of counseling and the first year of probation and all of this after treatment that was conditional to him having three felonies brought against him in the initial arrest and not go to not even go to jail for it. To have that player come back, um, talk in the talk in the summer after signing a one-year, eight million dollar qualifying offer about I've just I've been focusing on being the best person I can be. Conspicuous in his comments, and I realize like Miles Bridges is not one of my college students. Like he's, it's not a rhetorical analysis assignment. He just put out a statement, but seeing in the statement who he addresses, not a single word toward the victim. Not a single indication of ideas. Everything is about he's he's sad for embarrassing his family. Like um, he makes a comment about you know I'm still the same kid I was five years ago. You would hope that no one is the same person after five years that they were. But but even if we want to take him like you know on a figurative level, for that person in July to be making those comments, and then in October for that person to be charged again with another offense, another violent assault. This time, violating the protective custody or the protective um, order, uh, damaging the car, being accused of destroying the windshield, denting the denting the windows. To have that happen in October, to then in November, to, after the incident, to have Adam Silver talking about how the league is doing everything that you know it, it can and should do, and we take this seriously, of course. To a couple weeks later. A couple of weeks later, the Hornets are saying, "Yeah, we're we're he's back. We're comfortable. We're comfortable with him coming back." Last time he's on my TV playing. 
how do you explain and and domestic violence significant on two levels it wildly disproportionately impacts women and also it does not only impact women like this impacts everybody so when you talk about the nba's audience this potentially impacts everyone and the league is telling these people we are you can trust like adam silver says if anyone crosses the line we're on it so by those standards miles bridges still hasn't crossed the line kevin porter someone who has had more than one incident of questionable violence he was that also silver could have put him on leave has the power to do it whether a player has been convicted or not charged or not on trial or not hasn't so by silver's own standards none of this has crossed the line so what is the line Does it cost you money? That's the line. You you can't take that you can't take that seriously, um, and it's it's, you know. You understand that it's it happens, everyone understands that it happens, um, not just in sports. And it, it, it's a social, it's endemic to humanity. It's gone on for all of our history. I mean, for our New York fans, I mean, you could see the allegations against P Diddy, which got settled, were disgusting i grew up listening to his music um mm-hmm. and this were years of abuse and control and um it's a pretty widespread problem uh, especially among people with power uh, and yeah predominantly men with power so you don't want the focus to be on bridges because it's bigger than him but you also don't want you know in a broadcast last night and god knows like i wasn't expecting msg to be like let's 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 have the difficult conversation but the extent of any recognition that potentially something awkward was happening on our screen was Bridges catching and throwing down one alley-oop and Mike Breen being decidedly less emphatic than he usually is when a player puts an alley-oop. Wally Zerbiak could, sounded like Bridges had been out with like the cold for two weeks. Like absolutely zero recognition of anything. And again, I don't, and I'm I don't sure want they're to... tied kind of you know what they can I'm, say i imagine they are and i'm this is not about i was again i was not tuning in and thinking like mike breen and, and wally zerbiak better be i'm not saying that either um but you know it's hard to see it and reconcile like and what, for for people i don't know oh yeah no i um it's definitely really tough, um, and for um, you know, for all of our listeners who may have dealt with something like this, um, you know, um, very very tough, I'm sure, to see this. Um, Matt, I, I think your article ended though, and I think you wanted to mention that this is not just uh, you know complaining in the dark or, or cr- crying about the dark. Uh, you know, for people who are concerned about domestic violence and helping victims, um, you know, I think you posted some resources. Do you want to share them here? Yeah, there's a few, a few. I mean, they're on, they're on the the recap. If you go to the Strickland, uh, the Strick.land, it's at the end of the recap. But also, just to summarize in general, if you're someone who is experiencing this, there are like options. You do have the ability to get help. It can seem completely like you're stuck where you are in a situation. And I, I have personally known, um, in it being in an environment where it's not a healthy environment for you, it's harmful, and you don't feel like you really can say anything because you're so worried about what the repercussions will be if the if the if the person finds out or 
if the person you trust doesn't help you or can't help you, but you you have to take that first step, like to get out of where you are. It can't get fixed from inside. This isn't something that you can fix, and it's not something that you can fix from inside. So, if you're someone who's experiencing it, there's resources you can help um, that can help you that are available state by state, county by county. There's a link on the website from the National Network for um, Ending Domestic Violence. There are um, resources available as far as education. There are resources also at these sites that link um, very easily to um, places where you can find um, the ability to contribute, the ability to donate resources, time. There were some notes included at the end of the recap about some of the, you know, a lot of times when people donate to any kind of a shelter or hunger drive or something, they just dump. This is, again, not a condemnation. Help, help. But a lot of people will put, you know, leftover stuff in your closet that you don't want or certain pantry staples, but a lot of these shelters will point out that they're not funded, especially these days, they're not funded for long-term assistance for women and children uh, in need or people who are trying to, you know, start over from being in a domestic violence situation. So certain state, certain things you might not think of, like bread, like can openers are really significant. They get a lot of canned goods, but if they don't have a can opener, it's not a pop top, that doesn't really help them. Dish detergent, uh, feminine hygiene products, they get a lot of packages of like birthday cake, but they don't have flour, they don't have sugar, salt, spices, things like that. Eggs are considered like a really, like a great thing. So, you know, try to be attentive, ask questions always. Um, just, you know, recognize that what you can do is something. And a lot of times, like something for people who have nothing is a lot. Um, so you can check the article, there's links there. Um, there's links also you can find very easily to where you can push for legislative action. Um, for changing laws and changing that the way the programs are funded and prioritized. Um, you should educate yourself on what your local politician is or is not doing in terms of that kind of work and, and, and see where the next step is that you can take from there. Yeah. Um, all said. And, um, you know, we, uh, hope that, um, yeah, we just like to hope that, um, anyone going through these kind of things is, um, we, we can do more to help them. Um, and we hope that the NBA will, you know, eventually evolve. And uh, but it's clear this is an example um, of some of the hypocrisy uh, that is kind of um, that you see a lot. Um, and you know, without getting into commentary on the larger climate and the world we live in, um, and how incentives can be nakedly really bad. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely worth talking about. Um, I did want to shift, um, unless there's anything else you wanted to add, Matt, uh, on, on this. Uh, did want to start to talk um, a little bit about the Knicks. Um, so the Knicks are 8-5. and five. Um, They've just beaten two teams that we'd expect them to beat uh, in Charlotte and... Um, in Charlotte and... Um, Washington. The, the Wizards, yeah. Um, after... Um, you know, after, you know, a, a, a pretty tough win against the Hawks. Um, so, you know, after a very tough opening stretch, they've faced some teams that they're, you know, and they've won. Um, and the Knicks are, are doing quite well. Um, they're actually seventh in three-point percentage, eighth in um, three-point attempt rate. Um, they're top, tenth in offensive rating, fifth in net rating fourth in defensive rating, which is a big improvement for all of the talk about how good they were last year. Um, you know, being a Tibbs team, you'd expect defense is the core. They're actually third in offensive rating last year and, and 19th in defensive rating. 
So, um, so you know, they've actually, um, they've actually, you know, really, you know, they're playing at a really high level right now, despite the fact that eight and five may not completely reflect that. Um, you know, so Matt, just want to kick it to you. Um, you know, what are your kind of thoughts overall? Do you think people were maybe panting a little, a little bit uh, early in the season when the record wasn't that great, but you're obviously playing good teams and. I think, yes, people were panicking, but on one level, I embraced that because for people to be panicking in the in the opening games of a Knicks season against the schedule that they faced is indicative on some level of, like, the aspiration people have for the team. Um, so it was – it's you know, the, the, the real chicken littles were annoying, but, like, I, I like the fact that, like, we were – there's a lot of seasons you're not invested from game one in with, like, the, a night-in, night-out result because it matters that much to your team. Um, I thought that was exciting and that was cool. Um, Stacey, are you familiar offhand with the 2004 New York Jets? Is it Vinny Testaverde? No, a little later. These are your Chad Pennington, Pennington? Okay. Curtis Martin, Santana Moss, New York Jets. Uh, now I am no longer the coach, or... yes, yeah. yeah. So the Jets, even even before I got into the Knicks, I was following the Jets, and thankfully, uh, I stopped with that um, about ten years ago. But for a long time, I was like a Jets fan, and I, it's interesting to me. And this, this will, I think we'll talk about this with some Knicks stuff later too. Like when you become a fan, really can determine the kind of mindset that you, that you bring to your fandom. Um, it's really striking that if, like, I'm a Met fan who came before they won in '86, so I'm I'm usually a very optimistic Met fan because. The first year I watched them, they had this miracle run to a World Series. So my assumption as a Mets fan by default is that things will always work out, which I've realized makes me different than most Mets fans that I know um, because most of them now came after 86 and they haven't seen the team win. Same thing with the Knicks. If you grew up watching this team in the 90s, you have, I think, a different opinion about them or a different sense of yourself as a fan than if you started watching them when like, you know, Isaiah Thomas was running things. So the Jets have never, ever, ever, ever been really good. Um, they won the Super Bowl literally in 1969, I think, and ever since then have just not been good. So all Jet fans share that, I think, as a cultural thing. So when the 4 Jets, their season went along, I was really struck that I was watching this team that, like, if you objectively stood back and, and didn't notice the uniforms but just watched the play, this was a team that could win. Like, this was a team that could win a Super Bowl. You couldn't compute that with Jets, but like it was true. And as the season went along, I began telling people, and like I, I was the farthest thing from a like a rabid. You know, I'm a Jet. If you're a Jet fan, you're a natural cynic. But I was like, I'm telling you, this team, this is legit. Like this team can do it. They had the running back and Martin. You know, Pennington didn't make mistakes. He was highly efficient. Moss gave them a little explosiveness. They had some good defensive players. Lamont Jordan's a great backup. They get to the playoffs. They play Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, I think, was like 15-1 and one that year. And they're heavy, heavy, heavy favorites. Um, and no one won, no one even wins at Heinz Field. And the Jets are big underdogs. And it's it was the most brutal day of my life as a Jet fan because I was working. I was the delivery driver. I was driving around food, listening to the Jets lose a game by three points, I think in overtime, in a game where their kicker, Doug Bryan, missed three field goals when they could have won the game and my, and my, my father kept calling me cause he was all, and we are dying with this game. 
And what was so brutal was it wasn't just a loss, but it was like, but you don't understand. Like, this was the team. Like, this was really... 97 Knicks have a hint of that. Like, this was the team. So this year, one thing that's been really striking about these Knicks is that if I step back from the names and the resumes and all of my normal senses of floors and ceilings, and I just look at what it is that I am seeing, I am seeing a team that, like, I have to take seriously. I'm seeing a team that with, like, one or two breaks, I think can get to the finals. And I did not come into the season thinking – for me, coming into the season – my sense of success was just do what you did last year. Like win, win in the high forties, get to the second round, be competitive. That will show me sustainability, which is a big thing with this franchise, but like, that's all I need. And you know, some years your team gets off to a certain start and things change positively or negatively and your expectations shift. And now I would say my expectations have shifted, but my consider my, my sense of their ceiling is definitely climbing. And I didn't think that would happen 13 games into the season. But even when they were losing, you could see, like, they weren't losing because they didn't have answers. They were losing because just things weren't happening that normally happen. But now that those things are happening more, this is some team. Yeah, and I think we're all dealing a little bit with the curse of expectations. Um, the last couple of years really have been very unprecedented for me. Um, I've been a Michigan fan since 2007. My first game as a student, they were ranked number five in the country. One of the contenders for the national championship, they lost to a team nobody had heard of from Appalachian state. Um, then they hired a new coach and were fucking dog shit for a few years. Um, and even after hiring Jim Harbaugh, it took a long time. And so the last three years, the last two years before this week and this week, they play Ohio state again. Um, but the last two years, um, they beat Ohio, they beat the crap out of Ohio State. This seemed to me, you have to understand, this would be like the Knicks sweeping this version of the Celtics in four mm. games, or, or beating, you know, if the Knicks at their peak somehow had beaten LeBron, it, it, the, the Heatles, right? Um, that was just something that was just a myth to me. It's not supposed to be. It's historically supposed to be an even rivalry. At the same time, the Philadelphia Eagles, I've seen them win a Super Bowl in the last few years, the last two years, and on on the strict court, you can say every game. I'm just constantly. The Eagles are eight and one. They're the best team by most people's standards. They'll play tomorrow night against the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll see how that goes. But but the thing is, they, you know, they, these teams have become so good, and that's without talking about the fact that this is the most success I've seen from the Knicks since I was in grade school, um, by a large. Wow. wow. Yeah, I mean, this is there. I would. Um, I have not seen a team this good since the '99 Knicks. Um, at least shout out to the 2000 Knicks who everybody overlooks, and I get it because I do it too. But like, they were a pretty good team. The 2000 Knicks, the 2000 Knicks were good. This Knicks team is sweeping them. The 2012 Knicks were good. This Knicks team is sweeping them. What did you see what Roy Hibbert did to Carmelo Anthony? What do you think Mitchell Robinson is doing? Mitchell Robinson is 10 times the fucking player that Roy Hibbert. No, no, wait, hold on. I'm talking about the 2000 Knicks, not the 2000. So wait, why is Roy's? You're saying wait, you're saying Mitch will be more destructive of Ewing than Hibbert was of of Chandler? No, no, so I... You, no, no. I I was I went on right. to the 2012 Knicks. Oh, um, okay. I think Ewing would have success. I also think Mitch has shown that unless you can shoot the three against them, like he even did well against Jokic the last time he played them. The only guy who's really been consistently putting up numbers 
has been Porzingis. Um, if you're a post-oriented player, like I'm not worried about Mitch. Are you worried about Michigan's Carl? I'm not. Sorry, I don't want to compare Carl Anthony Towns to Ewing. Um, but an aged Ewing against this version of Mitchell Robinson, uh, who's guarding Brunson on that team? Charlie Ward. Yeah, I'll, I'll take my. I'll take that. Um, I, this is a guy who's dropped 44 on Drew Holiday. This nice. is a guy who went against Eric Spolster and averaged well over 34 a series. Um, our bench is better. This is this is the most complete. And even if you want to say head to head, they don't sweep the 2000 Knicks um, against other teams. Like the only team I really am worried about right now is Boston. That's because probably I'm overreacting to the fact that Milwaukee hasn't looked gangbusters, but there are real structural problems with that team. They have two of the top ten players in the NBA, one of the top three players in the NBA. So in a series, there's a good chance it, none of that matters, and especially as they continue to gel. But uh, so the point I was making is though is like the last three years I've seen unprecedented success for my teams. Yeah, but then. When you expect greatness, the vast majority of outcomes on any kind of reasonable distribution is um, is negative, right? And this isn't this isn't this is a universally human thing. Go to go to a Spurs blog a few years ago. Right now, maybe not, but even during the, the Popovich era, after a tough loss, you would see fire Popovich comments. Go to if you went to a Patriots blog, <laughs> they lost the game they weren't supposed to. Belichick doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, all these things, right? Um, if you go to an Alabama or a Georgia blog now, there is only disappointment or met expectations. And so I've had to remind myself with the Knicks that it's like, enjoy the ride, right? Like, And, and that, that was why that, that COVID season was so fun because it was completely unexpected. We went on that nine-game winning streak. Everything was upside. That's why the following year was even more stressful than maybe it should have been. And that's why like really... And now what where we're at is I would say more less than cautious optimism, but they need to do something, right? So I think with the Knicks right now, it's and I think the other part of this is why the, so many of the conversations turn to like you know very binary choices is that it's like well if we're not competing for a title, what are we doing, right? right? Like you know yeah you resigned Mitch instead of drafting Jalen Duran, but you know Duran could end up being banned maybe in three years, but if you're not going to win a title today, and I think that one, because of how the the draft has changed because of how tanking and like the benefits have changed, it's a little bit behind the times. And two, like we probably underestimate how much linear growth matters. Um, But, um, but yeah, to, to get back to it, this is, this is just the team where everyone has like, People have Grimes is the guy who's gotten a lot of grief. We can talk about Grimes and whether DiVincenzo should be starting. DiVincenzo played well, really well last night. Grimes is shooting 40% from three. So if I told you before the season, people were saying, should we bench Quentin Grimes? And he was shooting 40% from three, 60% true shooting. It's only eight points per game, but he's shooting 11.6 three-point attempts for 100 possessions. In comparison, Fournier has been about 12 for his career. So Grimes is getting up a ton of threes. He's shooting them at 40%. He's usually guarding the other team's best player. Um, and that's who we're disappointed about. And maybe he has been the most disappointing because who else? Like everyone has – R.J. Barrett has taken leaps that I've I've been cautious optimist with R.J. Barrett. I think he'd be shooting 40% from three, consistently making the right decisions, being a really good defender. Um, and, and in fact, I think – if you were to put DiVincenzo in for Grimes, the reason that could work is because RJ has been so good on defense, guarding the best player. 
clearly very impactful. Uh, Emmanuel quickly has gotten a lot better from last year. Um, this is a little bit quieter, but uh, shooting efficiently from outside. The floater is just unstoppable. His passing has taken a leap. He looks like he's put it all together. Like when not just the results, but just watching the way he the moves process. and conducts himself. Like he looks like all right. Like he figured he it out. Four for eleven last night for nine points. I don't think he had that bad a game. You know, um, so everyone has improved, and that is that that has been the, that has been the real theme over the last three years, right? It's that like Mitch Mitch and RJ took a step back twenty twenty one. So did Randall. Randall shaping like that's the thing. They're eight and five, and Randall and Brunson have been their most up and down players, right? But Brunson, they're both starting to pick it up. Um, and the schedule's been tough. So um, so can they win it all? I, I think Boston is a juggernaut right now, to be honest. Um, I think there's a reason we lost by 16 the last time. Yeah, we didn't have RJ, but Porzingis, Tatum together seems like a pretty difficult problem to solve. Uh, but anyone else, you know, like the, the league is a mess. Like Bill and Let's say like, let's say it's, it's late May. And at the end of the of a first round sweep of whoever they're playing, Drew Holiday, he messes up his knee. So the Knicks are going to play the Bucks in the next round. But now, I'm sorry, uh, not Drew. Jesus, Lillard, Lillard messes up his ankle going into the next round. Can the Knicks beat the Bucks if they don't have Drew Drew Damian Lillard? Yeah, they can. And then if that team gets I to the next round against the Celtics. What's that? I think they I think they can beat them with Demi Lillard. They should have won the last game we played against them, by the way. I think the Bucks are a tough matchup, but I think you're what, what you're saying, I agree with is the point is the Bucks are not whatever your feelings are, they're not an insurmountable climb. And even if Boston is, even if Boston, which I, I feel like they're clearly the best team in the East, um, maybe yeah, in the yeah, league. Yeah. Maybe in the league because the way they all defend. But if you get to the to now June and Porzingis is out because he's not healthy. And Drew Holiday turns his ankle at the end of the second round. Can you beat? Can you like? Yeah, like that's the thing. And I think, I think, interestingly enough, this Nick team to me has a quality um, that the Van Gundy teams definitely had, and that the Spolstra Heat also have. Where I think this is the kind of team that when it hits a certain level of quality, it can it's it's a problem for everybody. Like it's it's not like the heat of the kind of team that like if they're at a certain level of quality, no matter who the opponent is, they're sticky. Like they're not you're not, you're not just going to usually run them off the floor. And I feel like the Knicks because of the things that they do so well, and it's not just I think there's this, there's a stereotype because it, it's such the it's the most striking facet of the Knicks statistically is this is an incredible rebounding team, like astonishing, amazing rebounding team. And we don't think of rebounding as a skill, even though what's interesting with this Knicks team. This is not a 90s Nick team with Ewing, Oakley, Mason, Xavier McDaniel, Charles Smith. They have one big, wing. Strong. They have one wing they have, in RJ. I mean, you want to consider have, Randall a wing, fine. But, like, everyone else is either 6'5 or a big. No? Like, they have three bigs. They have three bigs who play in the whole roster. And they're still dominant. And everyone they bring in is, is incredible. So it's, so it's not just... It's not just okay. They're a really good rebounding team because sometimes teams are really good at rebounding because they can't shoot. So there's a lot of rebounds available. But on this team, not only is the percentage that they draw, but if you look right now, other than Randall who's still creeping up, if you look at the three point percentage of all the Knicks rotation players, uh, other than Mitch and Hartenstein who don't shoot them, everybody pretty much I think Quickly's 37, Divincenzo's around. He's close to 40. Grimes is 40. Brunson doesn't miss. 
a three ever. <laughs> RJ's fallen to like 47. Um, everybody is succeeding. Randall's is still getting up there, but the point is it's a team that has incredible like physicality and toughness, but in an unconventional and way. Up, and, and they're getting out of the volume too, by the way. They're taking the eighth most yeah. attempts per possession. So it's not like they're really just, yeah. And again, if this wasn't the Knicks, if you took off the label and just looked at again that aspect, like incredible rebounding team, incredible defensive team, high volume three-point shooting team shoots very well. I think they're now like seventh or something in the league in three-point percentage. Like all those factors, all NBA caliber point guard, two-time, like everything, if they weren't the Knicks. Potential six-man of the year, potential most improved player at the wing, and maybe an all-star in RJ Barrett. Historic center. NBA player at power forward who we're mentioning as an afterthought. (laughs) You know, like great back, probably the best backup center in the NBA. Like there was a, there was a stat from an EPM. Like I think Hartenstein is fifth or sixth in the league in, in defense, like defensive impact. Um, Like there isn't a weak spot in this rotation right now. No. And that's the thing you can lose. Yes. It was the wizards and the Hornets, but the Knicks loss. And this is another thing for the defense. like overreaction, one of his starts, he did play in a game where RJ was also out, which meant that Josh Hart was starting, which meant DiVincenzo was basically the third option on offense in that game because but alongside Mitch and Hart, he's probably the most creative player after Randall and Brunson, if you have to like take it down to that level. But for them to lose these starters, they didn't miss. They It wasn't like two hard-fought wins, you know, that they, they, they led wire to wire with both of them gone because, and again, we don't think Knicks – but you've had a coach here long enough, a front office, a culture, a system. What was striking with Grimes and Barrett out watching the game was it still just looked like the Knicks were doing that thing that they do that like grinds teams down. It happened to be other players doing it in different proportion, but they just looked like a team that this is our system. This is what we do. We do it so well. You can't stop us. And it, it was striking watching it. Yeah, and, and before that, they I mean, I guess you want to take a side note as well. Is it funny to you at all that, like, besides the bad thing that happened, they have basically dominated the Atlanta Hawks since Randall and Tibbs, since Tibbs got here? <laughs> like, Trey Young has a massively losing record. Randall himself, like, that's the biggest thing. Because if you look at that regular season before we played them, Randall had, I think he had 42 one game against the Hawks. He destroyed the Hawks, and they had no one who could guard him. And then you know, the playoffs happened, whatever. But they beat the Hawks without RJ before that. And that felt like a game where the Knicks played their C plus game. Um, so yeah, like this is like who is really dominating this? Like everyone's talking, like they're not even the best record in the East. Like people talking talk about, I I want to see them get Indiana. Um, I I want to see Obi Toppin try to guard you. I, I I was there have been many times in my career. You have been more of the Randall apologist than me. I will say that I have, and I still have concerns about Randall. I, I pray that they put Obi on Randall um, because I'm sure that we're going to see what Tibbs probably saw in many practices, which is, yeah, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I, I'll take Obi over Randall in transition, but if it's in the half court. Yeah. I'm and they have Miles Turner there, but like, I, I'm not, you know, the, they're welcome to it. Be? They're welcome to it. I'm worried about Mil- Milwaukee because they have two of the best players that are watched. I'm worried about Boston because they're a great team. Um, although to even even the last even when we played them, the first game we probably should have won. They still default a lot to Jason Tatum 
having to play like Kobe Bryant at the end of games. And he's done it and he's capable. He's he a can do player. it. But if that's that's what it took to beat us both times, just him hitting insane shots. Uh, I, maybe later on in the year they'll figure out how to get KP more involved. Um, you know, I've never like Drew. I've haven't been worried about either of the times we played them. He's been forced into some pretty terrible turnovers. I'm not worried about Derek White uh, on on offense. This is still a team that I think the Knicks can, you know, if they're just going to rely on Tatum. I actually have more confidence in. I wouldn't go that far. I think Tatum is is a better player, obviously, on offense than Jalen Brunson. But I think we can match them in a like in that game. I think the second game, you know, we didn't have RJ, but I think Brunson just wasn't aggressive enough, to be honest. And I didn't think Randall played well. Um, so like, but but that's but that's where my conversations are. Can we like how do we figure out Boston? Right. Like I right. think. I, we, I haven't watched enough of Philly. Max is playing awesome. I also think we would just, I'm going to take, you know, Nurse is a great coach. We'll see what happens. I'm going to trust Tibbs to come up with good strategies against Joel Embiid. And then if it comes to, you know, a guy in Emmanuel Quickly's draft class playing great, but ultimately if that's what we're going up against, you know, I think we can beat Philly. And there ain't anybody else in the East that's really worrisome. The Hawks? We we know we've we've learned that lesson. I think there's always Miami, you know. I I I don't want it. I don't I don't fear Miami, but I'm not going to use the word fluke. There's always Miami. The nicest thing I can say about that series last year is that I won't use the word fluke. But what if, okay? What if they matched up again and Duncan Robinson looks like this year's Duncan Robinson and not last year's? Would that make any difference? To no, you? He, we're going to torch him on defense this year. Okay. Um, quickly was hurt last year. Um, RJ has played well, but is much better. They still have no answers for Jalen Brunson. The best answer they had is in LA right now. Um, I think that, um, you know, Bam is still an amazing player. I didn't think Jimmy was that great against us, to be honest. Uh, the Knicks, they, the Heat shot really well from three. Two of the guys who shot really well from three, again, are no longer wearing Miami uniforms. And if the if the Heat want to play, do hero Robinson, back. What? They do have hero back for some of those threes, which they didn't have last year. So on that note, and you mentioning Duncan Robinson, I expect the Knicks to have much more offensive success. Mm-hmm. I would love to see Tyler Hero guard. Shit, I can't even. He can't even guard Deuce McBride. All right, he's not guard quickly. He's not guarding Jalen Brunson. He's not guarding RJ Barrett. Um, I'll take him down low. Yeah. So, and some of this is my Heat hatred coming out, and they still play well. So that's like I said. <laughs> For me, the nicest thing I can personally say is that it wasn't a fluke last year. Um, but I'm I'm pretty confident that the Knicks are a significantly better team. And if we if we lose the Heat this year and there aren't injuries, I would put it squarely on Tibbs because this team shouldn't lose the Heat. I feel confident that at some point Hollywood has made a rom com where a couple of friends decide to like date, maybe like to make someone else jealous to make another couple jealous and as the film goes on the two friends realize that like they're actually perfect for each other like it's such a and i mentioned this because i saw someone the other day mention um talking about quickly and talking about potential contract negotiations and it was someone at the athletic um saying that they thought the conversation would start around now um four years and 120 somebody just got a deal like that and they had quickly now in that kind of 30 million dollar right 
No, no, was that a big deal? Or you? Uh, I, I, I don't think I can remember who it was about. Maybe Vassell. Um, it, it was, it was a young player getting that sort of a deal, and I thought for a second. I'm like, well, that sucks because you know they can't pay all these guys and get a star. And then I started thinking, like, can they just keep doing what they're doing and have it be? fine like for a couple reasons one like no no front off no front office in any sport is ever going to say we have no interest in getting better like obviously if if it it goes without saying that if an opportunity came along to make a move that improves improves a team every team is going to do that and most fan bases are going to support that like that goes without saying but um seeing the intangible qualities of a team that has been like grown together and has continuity together and has been developed and come along together and a player like quickly is really emblematic of this like manuel quickly is not probably ever going to be the best player on a championship team um that's probably like never going to happen and you might so you might say like well if you can get us someone who can do that like go for it but watching him play um there is some non-numerical value that comes with what like seeing this person seeing mitch seeing potentially what rj is doing like seeing these things happen if 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 i held on to this core and the next four years the knicks make it to at least the second round every year they get to a conference finals um losing seven tough games is that okay like is, is that worse than on taking a shot like what phoenix is doing now and you've got a couple years to make it I, I don't i don't not to make it a binary but i'm just trying to get to like how we view success given that as fans although we all want to see our team win a title that's not why i think most of us follow the team because if we did you probably would have given up like a while ago because this team hasn't won one since richard nixon was not a criminal like that's a that's a long so that's probably not probably means they've never won that to be honest. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, criminal is the. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 do you think about that? Uh, I I that's there that's the romantic part of me that kind of wants to say yeah what if we just won it with these how special would it be to win behind R.J. Barrett and Manu quickly and and Mitchell like Mitchell Robinson to me epitomizes this right because for his entire career he's been this goofy guy right like you know he he's like his trainer posts stupid shit on instagram mitch like I, and i think a lot of times like mitchell posts something about his role like he likes to troll he's like a little i think eccentric might be the right word to use he's a little bit eccentric he's a little goofy and i think we've often always confused that for or, or conflated that and i don't think without reason because there's probably a high correlation between these two personality traits but we've conflated that with a lack of seriousness Whereas this is a guy that didn't play college ball that came into the NBA ready to play 23 minutes a game and have a high impact. Did he foul too much? Yes. Was he by far probably the best player on that 2019 Knicks team? It depends how much slack you want to cut um, Randall for the fact that the first half of the season he had Fisdale. Second half, Randall did look pretty solid under Miller. It foreshadowed what was to come. But Mitch was the most impactful player despite never playing college ball, despite being skinny as hell. And he kind of epitomizes like all of these young guys. They just get better every year. They're dedicated, even when it doesn't always seem like 
on the surface, this is a, like this is in some ways an island of misfit toys, right? We got the third player in a two, in what was considered a two-person draft, right? That, oh my god, like that asshole Jorge Sedano. God, I hate that fucking guy. You, there's a clip of him just laughing when we lose the lottery, when we get the third pick, and he's just like he looks like he's having a fucking orgasm. What a piece of shit! And um, on TV doing that's a complete unprofessional, right? Um, and um, and you know, and, and that's how it was thought of. And RJ has struggled. He's had his ups and downs. He didn't have the blinding speed and crazy unfair athleticism that John Morant did. He didn't have just the Greek god abilities of, of Zion Williamson, right? He also he did not have a team bring him in on day one and say, you know what? Whatever you need, take the ball. Everything is everything is is and that, that might be a good thing, you. by the way. Because guess what? The other two players got that. And one of them were having questions about buying in. The other one is prematurely shooting guns off everywhere. Apparently, if you look at Zion's social media, he is too, but in a different way. So, like, um, you know, um, you know, and and it, it quickly, twenty fifth street fight too. What? You just got Zion? in the street fight too. Yeah, Zion. Yep. I, I'm really curious who would be that stupid to pick a street fight with. Even if Zion wasn't surrounded by bodyguards, that's like one of the last dudes in the NBA. I would be like, I don't want to fight that guy. Um, I mean, alcohol, I, I, alcohol is a hell of a drug, man. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think Zion and Ja will both be okay. But the point is, RJ has yeah. come in. We've never had any questions of professionalism. He, we've had a lot of questions about his game, and he's just answered them all um, quickly, right? Not a real point guard. That We've heard that for several years. You wrote a great recap where it's like, that shit needs to die now. This is a, this is, he's gotten better every year. Um, he's faced a lot of scrutiny. He was put in a position. People talk about the bad playoffs. He was like the fact that a 22 year old like quickly was put in that position so early where he's relied on to do so much. That says more about how far they've come right now. If he's doing this at 26 and he's still a playoff liability, we can talk about that. But it's to your point. They, like, And it's all of these guys. Deuce, right? Deuce came in yesterday. He was just a menace. The shooting is coming around. Look very comfortable, and these are not the guys we're supposed to get. We'll still hear people scream. We don't have any wings besides RJ. We're not taking a shot on like the star level players, but they just keep adding good players. They keep adding guys like Divincenzo and Hart and Hartenstein. Um, you know, I mean, how easy would it have been for Hartenstein to start mouthing off to the media last year? He wasn't used properly. He was injured. He was taking a lot of criticism. There were people that wanted him bench for Sims. He's turned that out around. And the only reason he's in starting is because he's playing against the guy who's just a historically good rebound. He'd be starting on a lot of teams. And he has never, like, all of these guys have done exact. So from the romantic part of any fan would be like, I want to see this team win. And it may make logical sense, too, at this point, right? One guy the Knicks are tied to a lot is Carl Anthony Towns. You mentioned a four for 120 for Manuel Quickly. Let's say they're paying $50 million next year to Manuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett. Would you rather pay Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett $50 million yep. or Carl Anthony Towns $60 million? You know the answer. Usually, usually the, the conventional wisdom has been you pay, you'd pay you rather have $1 than four quarters, right? Consolidate. Right. But two half dollars is pretty nice. And everyone's getting paid a ton of money. Like, yep. I, I would rather have both of those guys than Jalen Brown. I mean, See, the two I think the sticker shock still hits us like, 30 mil does not mean what 30 mil has meant. There's still this initial, like, quickly 30 million, but it's not, this is not your father's 30 million. This is very, with a new cap, the new negotiations are going to jack it up more. 
Thirty million is going to be nothing. In like and some years. of these, and you you trade for a guy like Cat. Now you not only giving him sixty million, same cost problems. Even if I was to say, well, he's a star, so he's better than Quickly and Barrett put together, which I don't think so. And then you've lost all your picks and your flexibility. And then you have to worry about so, like, if you're getting a sixty million dollar guy because anyone can get sixty million dollars now, you have to. And teams are incentivized to keep their guys because it does cost picks. Are you getting? I mean, who are the like? You told me we're trading, we're trading the farm for Devin Booker. I'd say yes. De- Devin Booker, I think, is my Mendoza line for like the star trade. Yes, yes, um, yes. Like where it, that's the worst, and I say worst possible player. He's an amazing player, so that's why I'm saying I would trade the farm for him. But nobody, like, I'm not trading it for for not Donovan. For Donovan. Um, not for, I mean, Levine. We'll see if we can get him at a super discount. Fine, but even the way RJ is playing, I don't even want to trade for Levine at this point. There's no one in this rotation. Literally, I don't think there's anyone in the rotation. There's no one in the rotation. I would rather give minutes to Levine because at least even Chenzo, I know, will get steals and things like that. That is probably a little bit PK to rate, I think. But maybe, maybe. Um, But uh, to answer your question, I think it would be super fun to just to play this out, and then yeah, will I will I be disappointed if ultimately this team? ages randall gets old we have to you know it becomes the 90s knicks but they never make it past the second round or whatever i'll be disappointed but you know there's also part of me that will wonder what if if like i'll also be disappointed if we trade for cat or something and it's still the same like because i've seen that in my lifetime it's called we traded for carmelo anthony and tried to pair him with amari and i do i think that that galinari chandler fields team as it was was going to make a championship? No, but I think that's the best parallel to draw, right? Remember how? You, remember that 2011 season? Oh, like, yeah. I first have Gallinari, it clicked, right? It, it was not quite this RJ Barrett lead, but a lot of the things that had plagued him, even his defense looked a lot better that year. Yeah. Um, Felton and the D'Antoni offense, I don't want to say it was a revelation, but it was like, oh, you know, we talk about Brunson's been the first point guard we've had. We've never had a. I remember that's how I felt that year a little bit with Raven Felton. Um, you know, he wasn't a great point guard, but he, he ran D'Antoni's offense quite well. He could pull up shoot. He wasn't Chris Duhon. Um, uh, you know, Chandler Field Fields was a revelation for half the year that year. I don't know what happened to a shot. Mm-hmm. So is there part do I think that team would have champ won a championship? No. Is there part of me that's like uh, I would have liked to see more of them? Right. That's when we traded. I was like, we got Carmelo Anthony, I love this dude. But there's we closed the page on like I mean, like, I, that, remember that Amari Stoudemire game where he hit the three? Um, it was Boston. It was right after the buzzer. That was the first time in a long time I could feel just, like, hating, like, just being <laughs> so mad about a loss. And it was Boston. And yep. it was Paul Pierce's smug ass. Yep. And we should have won that game. And that was also a game where you realize the Knicks are kind of good. You know, the, the Knicks are back. And, and Amari's and, – and I think this is – but I also think this is a much better team than that one. Um, as good as Amari Sotomayor was, yeah. and as much, oh, much as I criticized Julius Randle, if Julius Randle's worst part of his game is defense, I got news for you. He's way better than Amari <laughs> Sotomayor. <laughs> um, you know, at point guard, obviously, at, at all over everywhere we got, you go, right? RJ, I think, is better than Gallinari. Um, I think Grimes and Chandler, you, you know, different strengths. But the point is, like, there's definitely reason to believe this team can do it, especially with the new salary cap rules, and especially with how just kind of. <sighs> Just you know, um, how much parity there is at the top, right? Like Jokic is a phenomenal player. Jokic and Giannis are, 
as good as they are, and so is um, I'm forgetting someone. Oh, Steph. It was Steph is aging. So there is no one in the league who transforms and just takes away your hope the way Jordan or Kobe or um, or LeBron in this prime did. That's something like and that's not a knock on Jokic. Those are all top five or ten players of all time. That's another thing that I think is worth considering. Do you need to push for that star when there isn't really a team that that just ends your hopes without one the way those guys did? I'm starting to feel that Jokic does that. I watched him play a game against um, someone. They were on TV a week ago, and oh, the Clippers. And the Clippers kept playing him one on one with like Paul George, and he's taking it. He's taking it the whole quarter. They're they're playing him one on one. It's a tight game, and in the last minute, he's got the ball like around the 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 baseline corner, three point corner. They finally double, and the moment they double, like he finds Gordon underneath for the dunk. Like, and so he's just, to me, that's that level where you're like, if you're a fan, like there's just nothing but exasperation because there's nothing you can do. Like there's like literally Pat Mahomes. Yeah. There's literally that's the, that's the, he's, it's not at all the same level, but that's the Jordan quality in, in terms of like, there's, there's nothing you can do. Even if you do everything right, you know, Kobe had that. There's nothing you can do. Like it, it doesn't matter. Um, Worth considering as you're making this point, especially when we contrast this to 2011. Had the Knicks not made, like, if you let's say the Knicks held on and didn't make the Mellow deal, they could have very easily lost in the first round the same way they did after the Mellow deal. They could have very easily the next year lost in the first round the way they did. So that's another reason to say you didn't just give up, like, you gave, yeah, you gave up a lot. Um, I want to ask even, you. Even Mozgov, I liked a lot of that team. Mozgov, like, yeah, Mozgov was like was the hardest time but... of his time. He was good, man. Um, man, and he, I always remember he got one of the giant post 2016 balloon contracts. I was like, God bless you, Timothy Mozgov. Well, that um, was the, the side note on that is that was why I was like actually proud of Phil Jackson for like two weeks. No, no, that was for a year. Because I think that was the summer he signed Robin yeah. Lopez. Yes, yes. And I was like, that's a really good deal if Moscow is getting 65. And yep. then he just... He, the Rolo trade was the first... The, the Lopez trade was like the moment in the horror movie where the kid first realizes that like the old man maybe is not what you thought he was. Like that was my first wait a minute, Phil. And then from then on, it was like, dun, 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 dun. and I talked myself in the Derek Rose, but there was even on PNT, there oh. articles. I was like, Derek Rose had a resurgence, but he doesn't draw fouls anymore. That's probably not a good thing. And I was like, no, no, no he's Derek Rose. We got an MVP. We got a former MVP. And it was like, <laughs> I want to close from my end with asking you about a completely non roster related story that happened. And, there's just one part of it that I find. So there's a common reaction. There's the Mark Jackson story where Mark Jackson was going to be calling uh, road games because I think Clyde is basically taking the year off from the road. But uh, according to what I've read, it was Leon. I think Leon Rose. Well, Mark Jackson got. Oh, sorry. Is that what that, yeah. That um, Mark Jackson would not be permitted to fly on the team flight. He'd have to fly commercial. And that Jackson, upon hearing that, made a decision that he was no longer interested in the job. Backstory one is, I think his name is Darren Ehrman, who was um, an assistant in Golden State when Mark Jackson was the head coach, which, haha, we mentioned Richard Nixon earlier, came to an end with a lot of recordings and illegal stuff, and and Jackson being, basically, I guess, Ehrman recorded things that were used against Jackson later, or Jackson irate, 
um, to know that he was being recorded by a head coach. I don't even care about that. My only interest in this story is forgetting all that. The idea that, like, the Knicks just as an organization, don't you feel like the Knicks as an organization, if they hire you to be their their play-by-play person and travel on the road and follow the team, that they would put you up in first class instead of saying that Mark Jackson has to get his own tickets and coach? And, like, fly, I mean, they didn't tell him he has to get coach, but, like, they didn't offer him. Does it seem extremely petty and broke to you that the new – York Knickerbockers want their analysts flying around the country, possibly coach, paying for their own shit, paying for hotels and stuff too. Um, yeah, it's weird. I mean, do you think Clyde has to and Brian? No, Clyde? that's what I'm saying. Well, something okay. here doesn't ring right. So either this is, a, is either this, this is, is Jackson, Jackson. I think either Jackson this is sucks. Jackson specific, or something's weird here because because what the Knicks have a vo- whatever you think of James Dolan. I have never gotten the sense that he's like low quality on what he does, like ever. I think, I mean, I think if we take a step back, um, as you grow older and you get out of some of the good versus evil narratives, you realize that Dolan is bad in many ways, or, you know, there are negative qualities to Dolan that are not unique to James Dolan. They apply to every single owner because. I think one of the harder truths that I've learned as I've grown older is there's very few billionaires who are, um, let's, let's put it like this. Everyone who owns an NBA team is a billionaire with a ton of money. And a lot of, a lot of the times that relates to certain traits, right. Um, that are not good. And I think that applies as much to Dolan as it applies to people like Mark Cuban, as it applies to, um, I mean, I think, They've picked out one owner, and I don't think Dolan is that, right? Um, but, you know, so so getting back to – so my point is that, like, a lot of the criticisms of Dolan is fair. I think it exists for every owner. Every owner is kind of an egomaniac. Every owner has a ton of power. Um, and I think with great power comes great insecurity, not responsibility. Also responsibility, but – When you have something to lose, you're insecure. Uh, and they all are, are like that to some extent. And I think Dolan kind of is just in that group. We also just lost for 20 years. That was part of it. Uh, and he's hired, you know, hired some of the wrong people. We can get into that, right? I think the, you know, harassment lawsuits and all that also really, really bad. Again, not unique to the Knicks. And that's not to, to defend them. That is to say that if we look at James Dolan, he is, and that doesn't justify it, doesn't mean you shouldn't criticize James Dolan. I am saying that he is like most NBA owners. When it comes to the Mark Jackson news, um, one, I'll just admit it. I'm not biased in favor of Mark Jackson. I find his commentary often to be very annoying. Um, I think that Golden State hit it. Like, There's so many people who are like, Steve Kerr was just profiting off of Mark Jackson's development. Watch their offense and tell me that if you have Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson, you could not run a more unimaginable offense. Uh, he tried to heal Steph Curry's ankle with holy water. He has history of homo. You know, he's made homophobic comments and stuff in the past. Uh, all that to say to your point. Uh, that's great. The best, maybe the best part of Mark Jackson was his now passed on brother, an N one star. Yeah, um, I, I think if you um, if you want to come down on the Knicks as a billion dollar corporation making someone fly coach, totally get that. 
but I'm not shedding many tears. Um, I think we know that this organization has quirks. Could they handle the media better? Yes. It's it's like that, right? Like on the one hand, should they probably have a more open access policy? Yeah. Do I think people like Stefan Bondi or, you know, um, you know, do I think that the majority of people, I like Begley a lot. Um, Cats to me can be hit or miss, but I think he is intellectually honest, if nothing else. Um, I think that the vast majority of media, though, I'm not shedding any tears for them. Um, I'm, I, I, I will say that, yes, I'm for freedom of information. I'm for access. I also just, I, I'm not interested in the thousandth piece about how Knicks fans should fucking kill themselves and are bad people and how they're never going to win anything and, and just, oh, LOL, Knicks. I, I'm, I'm over that. And I, I don't have much sympathy for people who make a living like that. Um, but, um, but you know, with, with, so with Jackson, like, it's the same thing. It's like one probably should have figured out a way for them to like, just make peace with Ermin, figure out a way to make that the situation work. On the other hand, if the trade-off is I get Gus Johnson calling Knicks games instead of Mark Jackson, I mean, because I already, I told you I'm a Michigan fan. The last two years, I got to not only watch Michigan win, I got to watch Gus Johnson call the game, and that has been incredible. He's a Detroit native, and he's called Knicks. He has, like, that is my guy. Aside from Breen and Clyde, I don't know that there's a sports scholarship. I mean, I'm, I'm probably taking him over Breen even at this point. Breen's got the bang call. Mm. Of late, he's been a little bit. Green has been like a little bit, like yeah, we get it, dude. You have to like make the referee's point because we all hate him. But like sometimes you can just admit it was a bad call. Um, I I love Gus. So if that's the alternative, if Gus Johnson is calling games instead of uh, instead of Mark Jackson, my take is more, you know, kind of like Willy Wonka. Like wait, no, come back. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Gus is dope. I love Gus, but. Jackson, so last question, because Jackson would have been replacement for Zerbiak. Who would you rather hear? Because he's, he's the play-by-play. Who would you rather? I mean, the analyst. Who would you rather hear less on a broadcast, Jackson <laughs> or Zerbiak? Who would you rather have a point guard, Ramon Sessions or uh, Jared Jack? <laughs> um, actually, I, I don't honestly. Jared Jack caught a lot of flack. Jack got game. at least one triple double as a Nick. I'm going to give him that. And one of the funniest gifts ever. And I thought I thought he was a good bet in that. There's just a shitty team. It's not his fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have liked him to get. I would have liked Milikina to get minutes at the time, but I never had a, a real issue with Jared Jack. Charlotte's Frank Milikina. I think Mark Jackson's a better play-by-play guy with Zerbiak when he gets the call with Van Gundy, and that's that's the guy I wanted them to get anyway. Like Van Gundy. I mean, Gus is awesome. I didn't think Gus would be available, especially during college football season. But um, but Van Gundy, like I like Van Gundy's grading in like like Van Gundy is like that friend you watch games with, and they just say the thing that you're just like, I just don't want to hear this right now. But it's true. It's like Chris Collins <laughs> a little bit. Um, whereas Jackson, Jackson's a good compliment. Jackson will say some funny shit sometimes. It does. Wally's just like you never know what to expect, and sometimes it's insightful, and sometimes it very much isn't. So. He said something in the first half that was like actually, like it was like good, and I was like, I'm, I, I think I'm too hard on Wally. Like that was like a night, and then it, it literally took seconds for me to be like, oh no, okay, <laughs> Wally's Wally. Uh, I agree. Jackson, at least I think sometimes is funny. Um, I, I can't say Zerbiak is at best inoffensive, um, and is often not at his best. So. You know who I would, who I I, I kind of am curious to see if he calls a game, 
someone who has been a nemesis, I think, of Nick for Knicks fans, and now is making decent points, is Richard Jefferson. Richard because Jefferson. he started out as this guy that always poo-pooed the Knicks, and this is just because I think he's just a very calculated person. He has now pivoted to this thing where it's like he had that interview. He's like, I don't hate the Knicks. Y'all hate y'all. He's now leaned into that because he knows the Knicks are actually good. So it's not going to help him to just clown them all the time. So now you see him and he's like, why are you guys complaining? You're not a bad team. But I I respect that. It's like, but that is true because we probably all are complaining a little bit too much about, I think this is the best team they've had this century, so. Sorry the Knicks recently dogs. played. Um, the Knicks recently played. It had to be Cleveland. Is no, no. Who's the team that has Tristan Thompson now? I think it was Cleveland, right? Or was it Boston? No, not Boston. Maybe, maybe it was Cleveland. Somebody has Tristan Thompson. I saw him in a game no, recently. Yeah, it was Cleveland. Yeah. Cleveland. Okay. Yeah. Anytime I see Tristan Thompson's face, I'm. I'm just being honest. Anytime I see his face, all I can think of is like. This guy like cheated on his wife, I think, when she was like like having their baby or something. Like, it's all I can think of. It's all I can think of when I see his face. All I can think of when I see Richard Jefferson's face is him and Kenyon and Kid just like bullying the Knicks and Richard Jefferson leaving some woman at the altar. Like I, I don't know what the reasons are. That. She might not have been cool. Like it's his life. It doesn't matter. But I cannot, I, I will never, ever, ever, ever accept Richard Jefferson at all. Ever. He could become the GOAT announcer. He could buy the Knicks and make them the greatest thing. I can't have Richard Jefferson in my life. I just cannot. I cannot. Yeah, no, that's fair. I didn't know about that story. I know about, all right. the, I know way too much about Matt Barnes and Derek Fisher. But Did I you see the video know. recently of Fisher coaching Barnes's kids? And... I posted it on the strict court. <laughs> I mean, I I give actually I will give Matt Barnes credit. Like I think he's buried the hatchet for not assaulting Derek Fisher again. <laughs> no, they they've actually I think are like Barnes was at that game, and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, it, you know, it's one thing to make a joke, but I think it's commendable, and more men should just be willing to you know put their kids and their family first, right? So. Uh, obviously, like I, I commend Barnes for that, but I think it's just because of who he is and all of the shit that he's, and yeah. and yeah, like Kwame Brown is MAGA and like probably kind of an asshole and not someone I'd agree with. But did I laugh during that whole ordeal? You're damn right I did. Like I thought it was hilarious, you know. So, um, I mean, you know, hopefully, you know. So, but um, but yeah, like it's um, it's funny the things that you find out about, and I mean, they're they're millionaires with um with a lot of uh, ability to do kind of whatever they want so you see a lot of shit former nick greats matt barnes and Derek fisher head coach Derek fisher uh that's and it for... he's doing a lot of work there. <laughs> that's true that is true he did a little too much work in his time there um that's all for this episode of believe in Nick's podcast we are presented by bet online also presented by mean stacy Knicks play next on Monday at Minnesota. Then they'll play Friday at home in an in-season tournament game against Miami. And then the following Sunday, uh, they'll host Phoenix. Bradley Beal will be out, but hopefully Booker and um, KD will be healthy and playing in that game. So that's all for now. Until then, everybody, enjoy your Thanksgiving-ish time. We will talk to you soon.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.